0: 1 Corinthians 7, verse 25. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, marries she, is not, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly trouble, as I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. And those who mourn as though they have, no more, have not mourning. And those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. And those who buy as though they had no goods. And those who deal with the world as though they have no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about the worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraints upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks he is not behaving properly towards his betrothed, if his passions are strong, and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart Yet in my judgment, she is happier. She remains as she is. And I think that I too have the spirit of God. So far the reading of God's word. As we continue this morning, as we complete this chapter of uh, this seventh chapter, of first Corinthians, uh, this long passage, um, verses 17 to 40 uh, it is indeed the longest treatment of marriage and divorce and related matters in the New Testament. Though it is not exhaustive, it does not say all that the Bible has to say about these matters. But this chapter comes in the flow of Paul's letter. What he's been saying thus far, and uh, in, in, in what have we, what have we heard from Paul? This discussion of the Corinthians and their uh, infatuation and commitment to the old ways of doing things, to the pagan ways and wisdom from which they came. Uh, He's dealt with issues of sexual immorality, matters related to, as well, the civil realm, legal action amongst believers going outside of the church. Uh, He's dealt with the failure to rightly understand what ministry was, um, and the failure to discipline when it was certainly needed. Paul has addressed these matters. And now he moves on to speak of an issue that was a crisis, uh, a distress, he says there in verse 26. The Corinthians, the Corinthian church, was challenged by something that is not laid out in great detail for us. But in light of what's going on, uh, he tells the church to commit themselves to figuring out, to solving this crisis, to working through this distress, and to stay in the status and the position that they are in until this crisis is resolved. Um, again, recall that this, the Corinthian church had written a letter to the Apostle Paul about particular issues, questions they had regarding marriage and celibacy, and the proper decorum, the proper action that they should be taking. And Paul has discussed these things uh, with them in the first part of chapter seven, and in the remainder of chapter seven that we take up this morning, we see Paul talking about the social status, uh, the, the, the believer's status socially, right? The status he or she is in when he comes, when he or she comes to faith in Christ. And we see this repeated three times in this passage, in our text. Paul instructs them what? He tells them to remain, to stay put, to stay where they were when they were called. They were to remain, to abide in that position. When we are granted faith, when we are given new hearts that beat for and long for Jesus, we are thereafter what? We are bondservants, slaves to Christ. And the confusion came to them. What do we do now? Right? That was their question. Do they now live as Jews? Do, uh, are Gentiles now to become Jewish? Or do they take the mark of circumcision? Do Jews now remove the mark of circumcision? Are slaves to revolt from their masters? Is their status in Christ uh, free? Right? free? Does that undo the social standings as slaves to their earthly masters? Do women betrothed to be married abandon that betrothal? Do they go through with it? What do they do in the context of the current distress or crisis that is going on? Paul gives them much instruction here. But we see some overarching principles as we look at these specific uh, instances, these specific matters that he addresses, and the answers for them. And perhaps the most significant principle that we see here is the reality that they needed in every and all circumstances. They needed to remember who they were in Christ, even as we, brothers and sisters, are to do the same in all of our circumstances, to remember who we are in Christ, who we are before the Lord. We are to remember and to trust and to be guided in all of our lives by that same factor, who we are in Christ. They and we were bought with a price. We are bound to Jesus. We are bondservants to him. And therefore, we can no longer be bondservants. We can no longer be slaves to men. So let's look at how Paul conveys this to us in chapter 7, uh, as we pick up in verse 17. And we read first that we are to stay put, uh, as it were, is what Paul tells us. 1 Corinthians seven seventeen says, Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him, and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. We read that on the whole, on the whole, we are to stay in the vocation we were in when we were called to faith, right? Of course, that word vocation is a Latin word that just means calling, right? In Greek, it is called, right? It's the called. It's related to the word that we have for church, ecclesia, ecclesia. It is the called out ones. Uh, The New American Standard Version does a good job with this text. In a quite literal translation, it says this, as God has called each in this manner, let him walk. Right? That's a very literal translation from the Greek. That's what it says. As God has called each in this manner, let him walk. And we see there, too, that one of the New... Uh, we, we see in that verse one of the New Testament's favorite idioms for life, for living life. And that is to walk, right? To walk. Paul uses this again and again in Ephesians, if you recall. When we went through Ephesians, we saw this again. To walk. Walk the worthy walk. Watch how you walk. It's living. It's the living of your life, the pattern of your life. And it's a word that we get in English, our word peripatetic, right? Are you guys familiar with that word? You probably use that numerous times this week. Peripatetic. It just means to walk around, right? It's it's most commonly used in a manner of teaching, a peripatetic method, right? As they would walk back and forth, teaching and instructing uh, their students. But it just means to walk around. And it says, in this banner, let him walk. Let each person lead the life, lead the life that God has called him to. So Paul here is not talking, we have to be clear, about calling us as in effectual calling, where a person is called to faith in Christ at conversion. He's speaking of the calling, the vocation that they were in before they came to faith in Christ. What does he say about that? He says again, Stay put. Stay put, Corinthians. Let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him. That place where a person is when they are called, regardless of the social status or the setting of the situation in life, that vocation has no bearing on their new status. It has no religious significance. You may have heard, I don't know all of your backgrounds, but you may have heard it claimed that when you become a Christian, you must resign your job in the secular realm and start your own ministry, a distinctly Christian job, right? Have you heard this? Maybe some of you have. And we don't want to downplay the inappropriateness of some vocations or decisions or choices that people make before the Lord gets a hold of them. The person who is, for instance, a loan shark should give up that occupation, right? Uh, If you are a drug dealer, you should stop dealing drugs. Uh, If you're a temple prostitute in the first century in Corinth, you cannot remain in that job. But Paul here is not talking so much about discerning or finding a vocation. More broadly, what he's talking about here is that we are to remain on the whole where we are when we are called to faith in Christ. We are to withdraw from the world upon conversion. Why? Because God is sovereign even over our positions and our talents and our situations. And he places us in those places for his own sovereign reasons and his own providence. And these can be difficult decisions, to be sure, I'm trying to figure all this out in this world. But if you're a plumber or you're an accountant, when you are saved, you're not to abandon necessarily those callings. But what are you to do? You are to do your plumbing and you're to do your accounting with the most integrity and honesty and the best ability that you can to the glory of the Lord. God may call you to something else at some point. But our response, our reaction is not to flee from those callings because they're secular. Stay put, Paul says, particularly in the context of this crisis going on. And then in verses 18 and 19 Paul gives a detailed uh, he gives detailed circumstances to this broader principle. And he says was anyone at that time uh, was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised let him not seek to remove the mark of circumcision was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised let him not seek circumcision for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision but keeping the commandments of God right so he says stay put remain as you are in this instance circumcision is no longer the point Corinthians and we read this elsewhere. Paul uh, speaks to this in Galatians chapter 6, uh, starting at verse 12. He says something in a similar, Galatians chapter 6. He says, It is those who want to make good showing, a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. And then he says the same thing he just said in Corinthians. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Right. And so, what Paul is talking about, stay where you are. There's something more, more significant, and there's a broader principle going on. And then in verse 20 of our text this morning, we have a repeat of how this section began, right? He says, each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. And then he moves on to discuss slavery in verses 21 uh, to 23. Were you a slave when you were called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of that opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a slave is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a slave to Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. Do not be bothered, right, he's saying, if you are a slave and you become a Christian. Be freed if you're able. But if it is where God has called you, serve as a bondservant of Christ, Christ the Lord, your true master, with integrity, while you serve the master you have on earth. Right? And what is the point here? There's a greater reality above the earthly servanthood anyway. And that reality is that the slave is now free from something far more oppressive and far more destructive than his earthly master. He is now free from what? He's free from slavery to sin and to death that results from that sin. And you too, brothers and sisters, we as well, if we belong to Christ, if you are a bondservant to Christ, You too are free from sin and from death. That's a glorious reality that you should rejoice in, that you should remember not only on the Lord's Day, but every day of your life. If you belong to Jesus, you are free from sin and death. You have life in Christ. And in fact, regardless of the situation, regardless of your station in life, no matter how lofty or how lowly, you are kings and priests in God's kingdom. This is his promise to you. This is a reality. And those social distinctions, then and now, are removed in Christ. This is why, gloriously, Paul says in Galatians again, Galatians 3, he says, For in Christ, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free, there's no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, you are Abraham's heirs, offspring heirs according to the promise. It's a glorious word for us, brothers and sisters. And so we have to remember as Paul is telling us here in the church, we are bondservants of Christ. We are freedmen and freed women who now serve one another. And what was the price of our freedom? What was the price of that freedom for the, uh, for the Corinthians and for us as well? What was that freedom that bought us, uh, that freed us from, uh, from our flesh and from sin and from death? Well, we read this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20 a number of weeks ago. Right, chapter 6, verse 20, we read it, and we read it again here in verse 23. You were bought with a price, and if you, dear Christian... For you as well, you have been purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ. That's true. You are freed from sin as your master. You are freed. Sin no longer rules in you. It no longer reigns in your heart. And the guilt of your sin as well no longer masters you. No longer crushes you. You are free in Christ. And because we belong to the Lord who bought us, we belong to no man. And we will never again be slaves to sin, that is a true reality to you. You need to believe it, brothers and sisters. It no longer has that death grip upon you. You are free. Isn't that a wonderful truth, as you think about that? Isn't that glorious? Isn't he a wonderful Savior and Redeemer? Give can praise indeed. And in this verse, Paul says, you belong to Christ. You belong to Jesus and are never again to be slaves of man-made false religions that truly offer no rescue from sin and death. And we too, brothers and sisters, we need to learn from this that we cannot allow ourselves to be enslaved to any other system or man-made belief. Even, brothers and sisters, we cannot be enslaved to our own pretended autonomy. They have no power to save and to make free. It's only in Christ, that happens only in Christ. And so if you are in Christ, you are free indeed. Rejoice in that, brothers and sisters. And then Paul goes on in verse 24, and that refrain comes again. He says, "Brothers, in whatever condition each was called, let him there remain with God. And then he moves on to those who were married in the betrothed, and those who are not married, in verses 25 to 28. And again he tells them what? Remain as they are. Remain as you are. And then in verse 26, Paul speaks of the present distress there at Corinth. And he says, I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to, again, remain as he is. Right? There is a stress going on there. There is a distress. Right? And indeed, there is stress and distress for new believers there trying to figure out and fight in their new identity against the pagan culture from which they were called from. Some of you may remember coming to Christ in the fight against the, against the things that you remember and indeed for all of us, against the culture that we live in. There is stress there, there is tension, it is a war that rages. And there are different views on what the urgency or the crisis or the distress was that Paul's speaking of here in verse 26. Right? Some, say, some think it was the coming fall of Jerusalem. Some think that it was a famine going on or about to happen in the, church or in the, in the, the area where Corinth was. But likely what's being referred to here, likely what's being referred to is the state of the church. Right? All of those things that Paul has been dealing with up to this point right? with the church, with the Corinthians. This, this attraction to a, a personality-driven church, these divisions going on, the incest that he mentions, the man having his, uh, his father's wife, believers suing each other in civil courts, failure to discipline, temple prostitution activity, issues related to singles and widows and marrieds. Paul is saying, stay as you are through this difficult time. This is not the time to be doing anything, to be changing your situation. It is wise to remain as you are until the distress is under control. Then a wise and informed decision can be made about things like marriage and like betrothal and other issues that he's speaking of. And then we come to verse 29. And verse 29, I must confess, confess was one of the strangest, it seems very strange on the surface of it. Um, Trying to interpret it, trying to translate it. It seems on the surface to be uh, quite strange in isolation. But when we look at this verse, as is often the case, when we look at it in the context of what's going on, in light of what Paul has been saying, and the distress going on in the church, it makes perfect sense, right? Verse 29, this is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. And so what does that mean? He says, the appointed time has grown very short. Again, there's a number of views as to what this means, but the context of what's going on here and the other letters of Paul and the things that he says leads us to conclude that he's not a reference here to the second coming of Christ, which is what many people think it is, but rather it's a, re- a reference to the duration of the present distress going on in the church in Corinth. This is about the, the time, time is short, he's saying. Stay where you are. It's the present distress going on in the church, and so Paul says that this is an Urgent matter that requires people to give themselves wholly over to deal with this matter. Verses 30 to 34 talk about those who mourn and rejoice and those who uh, have goods and those who have anxieties. And he says in verse 32, I want you to be free from anxieties. Why? To commit yourself to dealing with this issue that's going on in the church whether by prayer, whether by fasting, the commitments to resolve these issues. And those in these various states, he's telling them, whether mourning or rejoicing or having goods and on and on, they are consumed with those things. Those things are a distraction to them. But they are things that, there are things that need to be dealt with, this crisis in the church. And they cannot be preoccupied with the things of this world and deal with the crisis of the church at the same time. And we can learn from this, dear Christian. We can learn from this that eternal matters are eternally important. And most often, temporal things, even if significant, are less significant than eternal things. Paul is instructing them to be free for this time of those temporal concerns, the things of this earth, for a time to deal with these more eternal matters. In the rest of the chapter here, we have Paul, the apostle, fleshing out his stance on celibacy and marriage. Again, something that they had written to him that he needs to try to explain to them, particularly in light of the distress of the church, especially this crisis. There is great value, he says, especially in light of what is going on to remaining celibate. Right? If that's the station that you're in. Paul assures them, though, that marriage is a godly, uh, a valid option as well. And then in verses thirty-nine and forty, Paul talks about widows and the actions that they should take, right? And if a spouse dies, the remaining spouse is free to remarry, with a qualification, right? What does he say? As long as it is in the Lord, you're free to marry in the Lord. But still, given the distress that's going on, Paul says that there is advantages to remaining unmarried. And in all of this. We need to see again the overarching principle that one's identity in Christ is all important, not just for the Corinthians, but for us as well. Becoming a Christian does not transform a person, does not reform their social status, right, in the culture. But once a Christian, right, those social distinctions aren't dividers any longer amongst believers, whether lofty or lowly. Our holy faith goes beyond our vocations, and the cultures that we're in. And it does so because it has to do with the solution, brothers and sisters, of the most pressing and fundamental human problem. And it's the problem of sin. The problem of sin. We were sinners, slaves to sin, and therefore under the just wrath of our holy God. And this is the reason Paul brings them around again, and he reminds them again that they were bought with the blood of Jesus. Jesus. And as a result of all of these things, brothers and sisters, let us remember. Let us remember this afresh and again this morning. As a result of Christ's purchase of his people with his own blood, we are not to become slaves of men. We are not to go back to our old ways. We are to be in bondage to no one. We are being, to be enslaved to no system. Let us remember who we are. We are bond servants of Jesus Christ. Purchased with his blood, purchased with the blood that he shed on the cross for you and I, dear Christian. So may we remember through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, may we remember again to whom we belong. We are Christ's, we are Christ. he is our master. And let us live lives that reflect that glorious truth, not enslaved by sinful passions or our old life thinking. Rather, you are servants of Jesus, your great God and redeemer.